Satyoga is an approach to attaining union with God. The inherent difficulty of that is that God is not only very difficult to understand by the ego mind, but impossible to understand. And it takes a great deal of refinement of our intelligence even to understand why we cannot understand. And to understand how we can get beyond that inherent and inevitable gap in our capacity to understand. And this is what the teachings of religion are all about, how to cross that gap. Every religion attempts to cross the same gap because there is only one God, one truth, one supreme real. There are not different religions, but there are different methodologies that have developed in different cultural environments based on the ego structure of that environment in order to be of most efficacity and helping people who are caught in illusion and in ignorance and in alienation from God to grow to the level in which union with God is achievable. This is what all the dharmas, all the Christian, Indian doctrines are about. And, and if we analyze them from an esoteric perspective, not an exoteric, because remember, every religion has these two aspects. The exoteric dimension is the dumbed-down dimension for children in Sunday school, for people whose intellects have not been refined sufficiently to be able to understand God at an archetypal or higher level of intellectual realization. So, steps are made along the way to guide one at least not to fall into karmic suffering by offering a superstructure of rules and morality and ethics that will help one to remain safe until one matures sufficiently to be able to enter into the real of non-duality. Before we can understand God, we must understand the soul. Before we can understand the soul, we must understand the ego. If we try to jump immediately to the highest plane, we will just simply be trapped in worse illusions than we started with. And so it's very important to be able to observe our own consciousness and its deceptive ways of falling into illusion, ignorance, sin, if you will, and suffering in order to be able to create a platform of consciousness that has an awareness of the ego consciousness and can critique our own errors in judgment from a higher plane of accuracy. And the spiritual path 
is a ladder in which we establish one rung after another of awareness of a prior and lower level of awareness in which we can then gradually reach a point of transcending the ego mind and even the soul mind entirely into the mind of God. But we need to be very humble in our approach to this supreme mind and not think it is something that our ego mind can understand if we're only given a formula. There is no E equals MC squared that will enable you to suddenly have an aha experience of the truth of God. And so we have doctrines both in the East and the West, within the Judeo-Christian traditions, within the Hindu and Buddhist traditions, or let me say the Vedic and the Buddhist traditions and the Taoist tradition, that enable us to create a paradigm in which it is more clear to us why we are unable to reach God and what needs to be changed, what needs to be realized at a level that is of immediate relevance to the mind at its current level of functioning so that it can then transcend to the next level. The two doctrines of most importance and usefulness in the East are those of Advaita and Advaya. The Advaita doctrine says that the supreme real cannot be understood by a mind trapped in duality, which is a mind that uses ordinary language to understand things because language defines each term in terms of an opposite term. We learn what hot means in terms of cold, we learn up in terms of down, we learn being in terms of nothingness, etc. But God cannot be defined or characterized or in any way described or pointed at through language that is caught in this dualistic level of description. God is beyond both being and nothingness. And so this uh, non-duality that transcends the capacity of any dualistic concepts to to in some way depict the reality of God needs to be clearly grasped in order not to remain in a dead end of futile attempts to understand God simply through positive, affirmative, uh, descriptive properties because the reality of what we are calling God is a mystery beyond any properties which we can understand that either pertain to any objective reality or even any subjective reality. And so the Advaya doctrine, which is the one mostly offered in the Buddhist traditions, is that we cannot speak about God at all. And therefore, what you cannot speak about, as Ludwig Wittgenstein came to understand himself, he's one of the fathers of postmodern Western philosophy, what you cannot speak about, pass over in silence. And it is that silence that is at the heart of the spiritual traditions of both East and West. 
And these two doctrines of Advaita and Advaya are as much appropriate and uh, pertinent to Christianity and Judaism and Islam as they are to the Vedic and Buddhist lineages. So it's very important not to make a distinction and to believe that there are different religions and this religion has one way of approaching it and that has another. At the Sunday school level, yes, but at the level of those who are sages of any tradition, it is the same truth and the same path. So in that light, I would like to quote for you a few passages from a book by Vladimir Lossky, who is a theologian of the Eastern Orthodox Christian tradition called The Mystical Theology of the Eastern Church. As you probably know, the Eastern Orthodox Church and the Catholic Church were a single church until the Middle Ages when they split over certain theological points but also over certain political uh, conflicts between different cultures that were uh, diverting in terms of uh, non-religious uh, value systems. But in any case, let me quote uh, from this book, which has equal pertinence to uh, Catholicism. And he's quoting one of the saints of both of these uh, churches, who I would say is the probably most important theologian in Christianity, uh, whose name is Dionysius the Areopagite. Areopagus is a, a locale in Athens. He was the bishop of Athens and was a direct disciple of St. Paul. Uh, Dionysius distinguishes two possible theological ways. One, that of cataphatic or positive theology, which proceeds by affirmations. The other, apophatic or negative theology, by negations. The first leads us to some knowledge of God, but is an imperfect way. The perfect way, the only way which is fitting in regard to God, who is of his very nature unknowable, is the second, which leads us finally to total ignorance. All knowledge, and this is knowledge within the phenomenal field, has as its object that which is. Now God is beyond all that exists. In order to approach him, it is necessary to deny all that is inferior to him, that is to say, all which is. If in seeing God one can know what one sees, then one has not seen God in himself, but something intelligible, something which is inferior to God. It is by unknowing that one may know him who is above every possible object of knowledge. This is the great paradox that the ego mind cannot grasp. Proceeding by negations, one ascends from the inferior degrees of being to the highest. By progressively setting aside all that can be known in order to draw near to the unknown in the darkness of absolute ignorance meaning in this case absolute silence of the mind that wants to grasp through language. 
For even as light, and especially abundance of light, renders darkness invisible, even so the knowledge of created things, and especially excess of that knowledge, destroys the ignorance which is the only way by which one can attain to God in himself. This ignorance is called in the yogic tradition jnana or knowledge. So it is now clear that the apophatic way or mystical theology, for such is the title of the treatise devoted to the way of negations, has for its object God, insofar as he is absolutely incomprehensible. It would even be inaccurate to say that it has God for its object. The latter part of the passage, which we have just quoted, that I actually skipped, shows that one once arrived at the extreme height of the knowable, one must be freed from that which perceives as much as from that which can be perceived. That is to say, from the subject as well as the object of perception. So it's not only that God is unknowable, but if you're under the illusion that you know yourself, you don't know anything. And that self that you think you are is the very obstacle to knowing that which is unknowable. God no longer presents himself either as subject or object, for it is no more a question of knowledge but of union. Negative theology is thus a way toward that mystical union with God whose nature remains incomprehensible to us. I'll, I'll skip to a later paragraph. If we can neither comprehend the one by discursive reason nor by intellectual intuition, it is because the soul, when it grasps an object by reason, falls away from unity and is not absolutely one. It is therefore necessary to have recourse to the way of ecstasy, to the union in which we are wholly at one with our subject, in which all multiplicity disappears and the distinction between subject and object no longer exists. Now, skipping to a much more advanced level of this understanding, that passeth understanding, the personal character of a human being who has entered on the way of union is never impaired, even though he renounces his own will and his natural inclinations. It is just by this free renunciation of all which by nature belongs to it that the human personality comes to its full realization in grace. Now this is an important point because we renounce here not only knowledge but will. And we renounce desire which is used by the will to attain something on this phenomenal plane. It, if we do not have those three renunciations of the belief that you know something with the mind, the will to possess something in the physical plane and to have a, a, an autonomous quote-unquote will separate from God and a desire that motivates that will, then realization cannot be attained. Spiritual life, the growth of the human person in grace, always has this quality of awareness. The awareness, not knowledge of the illusory kind, but awareness. The absence of this quality is a mark of sin, the sleep of the soul. 
The soul must therefore be constantly on guard. We must walk as children of light, in the words of St. Paul. Awake, thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. This is the, almost the exact words of the yogis in India and in all the texts of both the Vedic and Buddhist tradition. In the mystical theology of the Eastern Church, these expressions are not used as metaphors or as figures of speech, but expressions for a real aspect of the Godhead. And this is important. If God is called light, it is because he cannot remain foreign to our experience, actually meaning our empyreans, as we would call it. Gnosis, or jnana, the highest stage of awareness of the divine, is an experience of uncreated light. The experience itself being light. In thy light we shall see light. Again, a quoting of uh, the text of St. Paul. It is both that which one perceives and that by which one perceives in mystical experience. For St. Simeon, the new theologian, the experience of light, which is conscious spiritual life, or gnosis, reveals the presence of the grace which a person has acquired. We do not speak of things of which we are ignorant, he says, but we bear witness to that which we know. For the light already shines in the darkness, in the day and in the night, in our hearts and minds. This light, without change, without decline, and never extinguished, enlightens us. It speaks, it acts, it lives, and it gives life. It transforms into light those whom it illumines. So this is important. We do not know God through words, through language, through beliefs, through doctrines, through opinions, uh, through projections, but through the uncreated light itself which is revealed not in duality, but by the realization that all is light and there is nothing but light. And that is ecstasy and that is grace. And it is that which is the goal of meditation. And this light that is uncreated, that is eternal, that is divine, that is supreme, that is blissful, can only be achieved by the absolute silencing of the mind that wants to grasp in too primitive a way, the surrender of the will that wants to be separate from that light, and the surrender of any desire for anything other than union with that light. And it is this that is the reason for brahmacharya and for all of the other dharmic renunciations, because until one has reached that oneness, that wholeheartedness of one's surrender to that light, it cannot be achieved. And one will remain in darkness, in ignorance, in sin, and in suffering. And that's the logic of why we do what we do in this tradition and in every spiritual tradition that is serious and that comes from sages who have attained that union with God. So, as we meditate now, let us do that by shedding the ego mind, shedding the will, shedding desire, 
and surrendering wholeheartedly with all of our mind, our might, our power of action to the Supreme Being. Let's meditate.